Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to the interview edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, joined by a plethora of guests this week. It's not really a plethora. It's four guests. That's still a good amount. You know, lots to talk about in the mixed martial arts space. And we'll start off with the undefeated featherweight champion of the world in Bellator, none other than AJ McKee. Fantastic interview. Love speaking to this guy. Someone needs to cut this guy a blank check. The, the charisma that he has paired with the fighting skill that he has, paired with the fact that he's 26 years old, I mean, you're not going to find anybody like this in a while in this sport. It's just a it's pretty unbelievable fusion of, you know, talent, skill, charisma, youth. This is somebody that uh, you need to get behind, AJ McKee. This is a, a fantastic fighter. So uh, looking forward to speaking with him and looking forward to having you hear that interview. Plus, three of the fighters on this weekend's UFC Fight Night card. We've got Jamal Hill, who will be in the main event, taking on Johnny Walker. Chaz Skelly potentially retiring from the sport after this fight, although he left the door a creak open when we talked. You'll hear that in the interview on this show. And finally, Chad and Helliger, who is a Canadian, making his debut in the bantamweight division. And uh, really looking forward to you hearing my interview with him. I think that he's going to be doing big things. You know, he's a little bit on the older side, but somebody who's really been in this sport for, for quite a while. He's a pretty big favorite against Jesse Strader this weekend. And finally, fighting in Strike Force this weekend, Mandel Nalo, Canada's own. Love speaking with Rat Garbage himself. What a nickname. So let's get right to it. We'll start off with AJ McKee, followed by Jamal Hill, Chaz Skelly, Chad and Helliger, and Mandel Nalo, right here on the TSN MMA Show Interview Edition. I'm now joined by the undefeated featherweight champion of the world, AJ McKee. You've got your next bout, and it's the same as your last bout. You're having a rematch with Patricio Pitbull. Was this the fight that you wanted? Is this number one on your list? No, not at all. Um, it was until he released the 155-pound title and allowed his brother to fight for it. Um, I was looking forward to getting the rematch at 155 pounds um, just because I knew he was going to want a rematch, but uh, him releasing the belt and doing all this, it, it kind of frustrated me a little bit because it, it takes away from the achievements and accolades that I look forward to conquering being a champ champ and so forth like that um but as as far as the rematch you know I you know his name's on that belt already so um the mercenary does his job you know I show up and I sign that contract and I take the opponent out uh, that, that's my job um outside of that man I, I whatever you know it's pitbull you know um that, that was our first exchange technically when i when i when i rocked him with the head kick and then put him in the guillotine so for me uh i like to i like to make sure my opponents don't want to fight me again for that fight i guess there's a little bit of room in there to where he feels it was lucky or uh, i i don't know what he feels but i i know that uh Clearly, he didn't accept it, so I'm looking forward to finishing out round one and starting round two and getting the same thing getting the same thing done in there. Well, I commend you for giving him the rematch. When he relinquished the title, like you mentioned, I thought, what's the upside here for AJ? I mean, what AJ wants is the double champion status. 
he has the 55-pound belt. Why would you give away the leverage that you would have to, to get a rematch? But he ended up getting a rematch anyways. I think it, that's this is more of a, for me anyways, I think it's more of like, all right, you want a rematch? Cool. You know, like I, I don't care where it's at, what we're doing. Um, at the end of the day, I know I have a job to do. And I did it once, so time to do it twice. Now, I read an article uh, in MMA Junkie. You did an interview with them back in August saying that you were looking forward to sitting down with Bellator Brass and talking about your future and putting together a big contract. Has that conversation happened yet? And uh, where are you at with that? Um, currently still have three fights left. So uh, getting Pitbull out of there one, one more time um, and a fashionable, fashionable note is going to be key. You know, after the Cardwell fight, they wanted to re-sign me. I told them no. Um I want to show you guys what I'm worth. Um, finished the million dollar tournament, obviously with a million dollar check. Um, after that, I, I feel my pay my paycheck should never go under a million again. Why? I leave it all on the line. I'm undefeated. Every time I go in there, I put my record on the line, and that, that's the most valuable thing in the mixed martial arts game is a unflawed record. And not too many of those floating around with uh, the finished rate and stats that I have. So uh, for me. I'm just, you know, one fight at a time, you know, um, I was sitting out for a while. I've been at this for what, five years consecutively, three fights, four fights a year. And that, that's what I enjoy most is really fighting. Um, obviously the pay wasn't as great back then, but now we're getting to where it's like, I have to be paid, you know? And, uh, that, that's what I'm looking forward to, you know, go, go solidify this last icing on the cake and, uh, we'll see what happens after that. So in an ideal world, if it was up to you, would you rather fight out your three fights this year and become one of the biggest free agents that really this combat sports space has seen in quite some time, if you remain undefeated, of course, or get something done with Bellator that will give you what you're looking for financially? Um, it's kind of a mix of both. Um, obviously, this is how I support my family and my team and everything. So um, money is key. Um, <laughs> That, that is key. Um, I think people forget that the fighters make the organization and not vice versa, not the organization making the fighters. So with me, my skill set in particular, I feel that I'm a perfect example of the fighter representing the organization and not vice versa. So um, I do my job well. Um, and, and, and that's, that's key, you know, just keep, keep doing your thing and, and, reach new goals, set new goals. Um, champ, champ, man. It's got to be It's got to be done. It's got to happen. I'm looking forward to stepping over to uh, Showtime and getting some boxing in. Um, it's the opportunities that are possible within, within the Bellator cage for me. Um, it's really family-oriented here. I'm able to – my father and I are both able to kind of sit down, talk with them, and put together plans of what AJ wants to do what what goals he's set for himself, what routes he wants to take. And, uh, yeah, that, that's really a big key is planning everything out and, and putting everything into effect. So, uh, like I told Espinosa, man, I'm looking to get on that Showtime card and uh, fight somebody over there, you know, test my skills in the boxing realm and uh, bring some boxing fans over to the mixed martial arts world and gain some new fans. Nice to your dad's there with you. He made a cameo appearance recently in the Jake Paul music video. There he is. There's the there's there's senior hanging out. 
Nice to see you, sir. Uh, pioneer in the space. <laughs> so yeah, he was doing. He was a uh, an extra in this uh, Jake Paul music video. Do you feel like that could hurt some of your leverage if you were negotiating with the UFC in in about a year's time? Nah, man. It, it's all fun and games. Um, I think anybody that knows my father and his prior uh, fight career, when when he was in his limelight and what he was doing, he's mellowed down, simmered down quite a bit so uh it's all fun and games for him you know i i don't think that video was it, it it's entertainment man and mma world is more entertaining than anything so uh for me it's it's a laughing matter it's a laughing factor um i don't think you know business is business at the end of the day and i i think that him being in that video is kind of it shows, you know, business is business. And when the opportunity arises, we're going to sit down and business will be proper business and we're going to get it done properly. So uh, I don't think there's anything bad, you know, um, no one ever challenges Dana. So I, I find it kind of comical that, that Jake's always challenging them. And uh, Dana responds, whether people like it or not, Dana don't respond to nobody, bro. But he responds to that boy, Jake. So for me, that that's the humor that I find in it is clearly he's 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 getting under he's getting under Dana's skin a little bit. But I mean, dude, three fucking million views in less than a week. Like it's self-explanatory. You know, if you're, you're taking it serious, whatever. But at the end of the day, I feel like the things he's speaking upon in in his song are it, it's it's a catchy song and it's it's valid. His points, his arguments are valid. Um, and I would say I'm grateful that it's him doing it. You know, he's, he's, he has the platform, he has the following to expose the flaws in not only this game, but the boxing game as world. And, uh, I think mixed martial arts following boxing and becoming a, a true sport, um, is key, man. And, and that's what he's pushing for. I've been kind of quiet, but that's something I've always push for myself is to unify the belts you know and that goes back to me talking about the fighters making the organization not the, the organization making the fighters and um yeah i i think that's key man unify these belts and i, I know i'm the best 145 in the world so if anybody feels that they're the best in in the world you know talk talk to whoever you got to talk to and and you know i'm an open book scott let's go do it espinoza let's go do it I got them in my corner. We're going to we're going to put on a great show, you know, and that's what it's all about, you know, in the entertainment world. So uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. Whoever whoever want it, come get it. I'm going to kick your ass just to say I did it. <laughs> but we're, we're, kind of mix, right there. we're mixing apples and oranges a little bit here because I would say there's two issues that we're discussing at the same time. We got fighter pay as a whole, which I think is one thing that Jake is looking for. And I think that's an MMA wide uh, thing that fighters are looking to get paid more. And then there's, like you said, with title unifications and cross-promotional bouts, that's more of a, of a legislative thing. So what do, you, what do you think would spark the change in both of these different categories, whether it's fight or pay uh, on one side and then the, I guess, the legislative side of, of having kind of a, a, an overseeing, uh, I guess, an organization that oversees all of these mixed martial arts promotions? Um, I think it would be mainly bringing independency back to the fighters. Um, we're independent contractors. A lot of people don't know that. We're independent contractors, yet there's certain things we're not allowed to do. There's certain things we're not allowed to do, period. You know what I mean? So um, with with that being said, it I like it, man. Um, unifying the belts is a big thing because that brings 
the power back to the to the fighters, not so much the organization. Um, us being independent contractors, we're allowed to go and do independent contracts. Say, if I want to go fight uh, UFC or One FC or PFL, me being an independent contractor, I'm able to do that. But with the way that certain contracts are in the mixed martial arts world, you're not allowed to do that. That's why Francis can't go box. But uh, I think the big change, you know, um, the big change is going to come from guys like Jake putting pressure to uh, change the sport for, for the other athletes, you know. Um, the pay is, is, is a big key. But I feel with the skill set is where the, the pay scale should come from. Um, being undefeated, you know, sky's the limits, you know. I, I feel I should be the highest paid athlete in Bellator and then obviously overpassing Bellator being the highest paid athlete in the world. Um, especially in my division. So um, that's what I'm looking forward to, you know, is is solidifying myself as the best 145er in the world to the point to where it becomes inevitable that whatever organization, wherever I'm at, you can't deny my greatness and <laughs> got to unify them belts. You know, that that's one way is me holding out until I, until I feel I want to go over there or go anywhere and, and kind of uh, prove myself. See, that's the thing. It's more of like an ego thing. And I'm not I've I've removed my ego, removed the emotions. And at the end of the day, it's business. This is how I take care of my family, my father, the gym, all my up and coming teammates. So, you know, it's you got to play your cards right, you know, and uh, 18 and 0, man, my, my cards have been they've been dealt and they're continuing to be dealt. And I'm looking for that royal flush, man. Well, I mean, it's very rare to see people that make it to the championship level and become a champion remain undefeated in this sport. It's very, very rare in general. I mean, we've seen Khabib do it. Uh, Israel did it, but he's, of course, since lost that light heavyweight um, in, in pursuit of greatness. But I think that you raise a great point. It's very, very rare that you have, a, uh, I guess, a fighter like yourself that is worth what you would get paid. I think that if you were to fight in the lightweight division for the championship, you'd be, I think, a significant favorite over the uh, the current champion. Uh, as far as Two. you know, who It'll is... Happen. As far as you know, who is the highest paid fighter in Bellator? In Bellator? I would believe Fedor, probably. I mean, that's that's the goat of goats. You know what I mean? I remember when he knocked out Orlovsky, I was sitting uh, cage-side at Affliction. Well, Orlovsky was in fetal position looking me in my eyes, knocked out, and I was like, Oh, <laughs> so uh, I would say Fedor probably. I, I'm not too sure who who gets paid what, but um, I know what I get paid, and I know what I should get paid. I know what I, I want to get paid. You know, I, I've I've successfully uh, reached my first goal, which was a million dollar check, world championship title, and um, now I've got new goals. You know, um, champ, champ, undefeated. Um, and that $100 million check, by the time I'm done, you know, I, I feel within the next five years that $100 million check is going to change. You know, um, I think with where the sport's going, with the possibilities of where where it's headed, um, I think we're going to see a lot of change within the next three to five years. Um, three years, for sure, we're going to begin to see it. And then five years, people are going to realize, like, oh, wow, it's now changing. And uh yeah, hopefully I'd love to be the face of the change and uh, just kind of give fighters a, a kind of like Floyd, a blueprint of what to follow, what to do, what not to do. And, uh, you know, just make, make sure your, your, your T's and your I's are crossed. You know, I, I don't like them 
dotted. I don't like the eyes dotted. I like them bold. So I, I like to keep everything capital. And um, if you were to be, if you were Bellator, for example, and your contract was not extended, do you think that they're going to offer you a shot at the lightweight championship and risk you walking away from the promotion as a two division champion? Well, no, because if I were to fight for the 155-pound title current under the current contract, that's a new championship clause, which extends my contract even further. So uh, that's where that that's where I can sit down and actually my father and I have a relationship with Bellator, and we can methodically plan out what we would like to do. And, uh, yeah, like I've, I've been saying for the previous couple of years, I'd, I'd love to step into the boxing realm, get my feet wet over there, and uh, – showcase my skills in that realm potentially get a get an exhibition with floyd test the best of the the best of our world with the best of their world on um, that and not even as a fight you know just to go out there test myself see where i'm at and share that moment with another great you know that's like lebron getting to play with kobe kobe getting to play with mj those are moments that those guys will kind of just cherish you know in a sense um people that they look up to uh, uh, role model wise career wise so uh, Floyd, Floyd was a, a big impact in my life alongside with my father and just kind of we've, we've watched him, watched his blueprint and how he how he's done it. And uh, you watch Connor, too. He, he kind of stole the same blueprint um, just with the, the, the smack talking and so forth. But uh, skill set wise, that that's where I feel you'll make the most noise, you know, is uh, cool. staying undefeated and just making examples out of everybody that steps in front of you. Um, First fight with Pitbull was a big example. I think a lot of people thought it was a fluke or it was just lucky. So, uh, like I said, there's there's nothing contractually signed at the moment. Um, I have three fights left. Patricio's one of the three. Um, maybe we'll sit down after that and, and see see where things play out and how, how things uh, line up after that. But as far as after Patricio Pitbull, there's, there's realistically only one to two fights left in the 145-pound division for myself. Um I've been looking forward to moving up to 155 pounds. Weight cuts aren't getting easier. I'm, I'm getting bigger, older, so I'm starting to put that grown man weight and muscle on. So uh, 145, I don't know how much longer it's in my future. I've been cutting weight since middle school days. I wasn't cutting weight like that in middle school, but high school, man, I'd say junior, senior year, high school, freshman year of college, up until this point, you know, um, five years consecutively, three fights, four fights a year. Um, I, I love the fight. So getting three fights in a year is, is key. So if, if it doesn't work out for whatever reason and you're going to fight out your contract this year, 145 pounds, who are you looking at? You've got, of course, Patricio's next. Jeremy Kennedy is the name. Adam Borix. Are, are those the kind of names that you're looking at after this? Yeah, I mean, I've been talking to Borix. Uh, I know Borix personally. He's a cool cat. Um, he's been wanting a title shot, you know. Um he lost the card well. He's been kind of he's been on his his thing since then. I think he won. Well, his last opponent didn't make weight, and then now he, I think he fought one person, and now he's fighting uh Burnell or Barnes. Matt yeah, Burnell, Burnell. Yeah. So, winner of that, uh, maybe we'll get maybe we'll get a a fight winner of that. If Boris wins, more than likely, you know, the kid's been waiting in line. You know, he wants to put on a great show for his fans, his friends back home. And, uh, shit, I'd deprive no one of an opportunity, you know. Um, I guarantee you after we fight that first time, he's not going to want to fight again. And that's always my goal, you know. When I get in that cage with someone, I, I want to make sure that they never want to fight me again. Um, this fight with Pitbull, I guess I didn't put enough icing on that cake. So this one, uh, 
I'm looking forward to really going in there and, and fighting with a different mindset. You know, the first the first mindset of that fight was go do what you got to do, win the world title, win the million dollars. This fight, I feel like, is a little more like go do bodily harm. Go make sure he never wants to see your face in that cage again, you know. And every time he does see my face and it's across from him in that cage, I want him to doubt himself, you know. Um, and... Man, mental warfare is number one warfare. I, I, I read that in the Art of War. So, uh, yeah, man, um, just got to stay mentally strong, mentally prepared. And, and, you know, with hard work, man, sky's the limits, you know. Um, I've, I've set so many goals for myself. This is literally just the beginning, you know. I've, I've accomplished two, two goals that I've set for myself, million-dollar check, world champ. So now it's champ, champ. And then uh, we'll see we'll see what what happens after that. And then after that, obviously, like I said, that hundred million dollar check. I think for mental warfare, what you do is you bring your little brother to the press conference and you give him the forty five belt and say, I, th- "It's for him now." That's that. There's, it's for him. Your, your first up. move. <laughs> I, I mean, I had Mason at the. Actually, he wasn't with me. Pitbull had his son at the last. Maybe that's what we'll do. We'll do Pitbull versus McKee's mini. You know, we'll get my four year old brother versus his son. <laughs> See now you're gonna make him feel old if you pitch that idea. That's nice. again more mental warfare for you to for you to put out there. Good, yeah, exactly. The older he feels, the better I feel. <laughs> your dad's not that far removed. The the next guy fighting for the heavyweight title is only five years younger than your dad. It's pretty uh, pretty remarkable. Dude, the man's fifty three, still trying to fight. I'm trying to get him to just hang the gloves up. But once a fighter, always a fighter, man. We've seen that with Chuck. Um, I got to work with Chuck for his last fight against Tito, which was which was an honor, man. Um, one of my favorite fighters since I was a kid. So that, that was a phenomenal opportunity. Um, like I said, once a fighter, always a fighter, you know. Um, you, even if people are telling you not to fight, man, if, if you're a fighter and you get that drive to fight and you want to fight, you're going to go fight, you know what I mean? So I can tell my dad retire as much as I want, but I'm pretty sure he's going to get back in there in the next year or two. I, I, I just got a feeling as much as I don't want to accept it, it's – it's going to happen. Well, I've got a good opponent for him. And uh, next time you see Jordan Meehan at a, at a Bellator event, his dad, Lee Meehan, is like probably about the same age as your dad. And he's, he's still fighting. Jordan so, Meehan. Dad, Lee you Meehan. Know Jordan Meehan? I think we got a fight for you. I beat his ass. Hey, there we go. <laughs> you don't want this smoke. <laughs> you know, Lee Meehan, Jordan Meehan. Next time you see Jordan Meehan, tell his dad that you want to line something up. His dad's still going. His dad's, I think, 40, uh, 53, 54. Man, I hurt somebody that age. <laughs> Hey, he does train with us every day. This dude, I don't doubt it, man. Hey, I don't. I, I see the conviction in your dad's eyes. Different breed. He's a different breed, bro. <laughs> in fact, I want to fight you. Oh god! All right, well, fight, Felicia. It, it's Bye, Felicia. we're getting Stop. six inches of snow here tonight, so be careful what you wish for if you're going to come to Toronto. I, I, <laughs> I'm bringing my snowboard, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Well, AJ, it's a pleasure catching up with you. It's a pleasure catching up with your dad as well. Uh, always appreciate your time and uh, look forward to hearing you on the broadcast uh, this Saturday at the Bellator event uh, and look forward to seeing you compete in April against Patricio for the rematch. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. appreciate your time. Stay blessed. Blessings and appreciate all you fans. Let's go get it, baby. April 15th. Y'all know what it is. We have a new main event for UFC Fight Night. It's this man, Jamal Hill, who's taking on Johnny Walker. When did you find out this was going to be the main event? And any hesitation to taking a, a five-round fight on such short notice? Um, I found out it was going to be a main event like Friday. I was uh, I was at physical therapy. I just finished up one of my workouts, and uh, I got the call from my manager. And uh, now there was no hesitation. Five rounds ain't. I'm built for this. 
You know what I mean? When I came in here, I didn't come in here to be a to be the to be the king of three rounds. You know what I mean? I come in to be a champion. So you should be anybody that come in this that's saying they plan on being a champion, you should already be prepared for five rounds. Do you feel like five rounds limits Johnny Walker's weapons? And this is a guy who uses a lot of fast burst attacks, and you probably can't do that early on if you want to hang on to your stamina. Whereas you're somebody who is a lot more tactical, I feel. Yeah. Um a lot of ex uh, explosive attacks, uh, um, which he is. That's what he is. He's explosive, athletic. A lot of that stuff. A lot of that's hard. To, that's a hard thing to do for five rounds. So um, it's up to him how he want to play. When you watched his last fight, do you feel like he's changed his fighting style? He denies that's the case, but I thought that in his last fight he, he fought a very conservative game plan, and it actually ended up biting him. Um. I feel like maybe um maybe it's not that he chose a different surprise, or maybe he's just more just being more patient and more composed and trying uh trying to find different shots and try to utilize newer weapons. You know what I mean? I'm not just gonna sit up and say like oh he's just trying to try try everything through try and stuff. He's just trying to add to his game. He's just trying to be a better fighter, which is what we're all trying to do. So you think it's actually him trying out new weapons uh, as opposed to relying on his old weapons to try to like you said, kind of improve over time. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely, I think that's definitely the case, part of it. And I saw you did an interview where you talked about how uh, you don't ask your training partners to emulate Johnny Walker. So do you feel like he's training more for fighting you than you're fighting, than you're training for fighting him? He's going to have to worry more about what you bring to the table than you are worried about what he brings to the table. Um, I don't know. We both have things to worry about. We're both capable of knocking the other one out, both capable of finishing the other one on the ground as well. So, um, I mean, I don't know. That's, I don't know. That's, kind of, that's a little bit of a strange question the way yeah, it came out. I, I was thinking to myself earlier, should I ask this question? Because it's a little bit of an odd question. I, you guys are obviously training to fight one another, but uh, right. it's more about the strategy uh, that, I'm, that I'm looking to get into. Yeah, okay. yeah no, nah, um, yes, I mean... He has more things to worry about than I do, as far as like uh, the the mar the room for margin of error, margin of error. I think is a lot smaller on his side. I've also seen you say in interviews that you think that people take a little bit too much stock in someone's last performance. Like they'll draw conclusions from one particular fight. Uh, do you feel like because of that? That is the last fight moments, just a moment that happened crazy yeah so for example like you don't you don't think about what his weaknesses have been in the past because you believe that you're going to face the best version of him no matter what and you, you've looked at the basically the whole picture yes yeah i gotta come in expecting that he's fixed all the, everything that everybody's talking about i mean in any of that he's i gotta i have to approach it that way you know what i mean because if i don't and he comes up and he is that then where am i you know what I mean? So, yes, I'm approaching it as if he's addressed all the problems, as if he's fixed his game perfectly and he's the perfect guy. And you probably go into every fight thinking that, right? That you're going to get the best version uh, of whoever's in front of you. You just need to make sure that you're prepared uh, for them rather than them, you know, worrying about whether they're prepared for you. Absolutely. 100%. What are some myths that you think people have come up with about you? If, if you were to look back at some of your previous fights, what are some things that people say about Jamal Hill that just aren't true? Most obvious thing is I don't have a ground game, but I don't care to I don't care to correct or any of that. You know what I'm saying? It's what it is. And do you think that's just because of the the Paul Craig fight, or because of the Darko Stosich fight, or just that's people are just looking at a very limited amount of things? 
It's both. Um, it's a it's a mixture of both. The Darko Stosic fight is what what kind of started that narrative, uh, because of the takedowns that he landed, which I wasn't worried about him. You know what I mean? Because of the simple fact that like uh my my hand was broken. I had a broken hand, so certain certain stuffs and certain things like that, I was better off just landing and getting back up, which I did. So you know, people don't look at the whole picture; they only like to look at a piece of. It. It's also one of those situations. Then, uh, where Stosich likes to go for a lot of takedowns. That's kind of his weapon. But when you look at the scoring criteria and how the judges look at the fights, they're looking at damage, and that's your wheelhouse. Exactly. Exactly. I don't even need to say that part exactly. <laughs> Who are some of your key training partners? Are you still training with Chaos Williams? Uh, I go up to Mercy a lot, go whenever I can to get some work up there. But, uh, like, my main training partners are my guys back, and back home in Grand Rapids. Um, we got... Got uh, Jordan McDonald, uh, Jace Jones, Big Dog, Brett Martin. Uh, he just signed with PFL. Uh, shout out to my, shout out to bro, uh, Isaiah. Um, we got just uh, just a shit ton of guys to help me. We got my big guys on the grapple side. My guy Cody, my guy Frank, my guy Joe. Like just a just a shit ton of dudes. Plus my coaches, Johnny Grigward, Chad Pomeroy, Justin Andrews. You know, uh, I'm blessed, bro. Um, I'm the I'm the I'm the most successful athlete there, and I'm the one that this is my job. So whenever whenever I have a fight and one of these come up, the whole gym is locked in and they focus on on what I got to do. You're also blessed with having six kids. One of them is with you on this trip. Uh, what made you decide to bring your son along, and how's he enjoying the experience? Um, I decided to bring him. It's, it's his birthday uh, coming up, and I um I'm with with everything I got going on. I might it might even I might even might even not even be be in town or whatever for his birthday. So I figured I'd just bring him with me, you know, show him what his dad does, give him the experience. He's loving it. He likes being out here. He's never been to Vegas. Um, just seeing what his dad does. Yeah, he hears all of dad's fighter and he sees me on TV. But now you just see the behind the scenes stuff, stuff like that. Are you staying in Vegas, going to the M&M store or anything like that? Yeah, we're going to go check out some stuff. We're going we're gonna to go uh, go see the trip. Uh, I gotta, I gotta take him out, give him, a, let him have some fun. You know, he's been with me. He's been my, been my little, my little, my helper, my, uh, my, my, my right hand guy right there with me, uh, taking, holding my, holding my stuff for me and making sure I'm on point. Dad, you got to go here and stuff. So, um, so yeah, I'm gonna make sure I get some time out to where he can come out and experience and enjoy Vegas as well. And have you been? Were you born, raised in Michigan? You've always been living in Michigan. No, I was born in Chicago. I was born in Chicago. Uh, moved from Chicago when I was when I was a toddler. Uh, moved down to Southern Illinois, and I grew up down there in uh, Williamson County. So I was like twelve, and then I moved to Michigan when I was twelve. So I've lived in Michigan for most of my life. Are you a Detroit versus everybody guy? I'm not from Detroit. <laughs> wait, wait, you're from what? Grand Rapids, is it? Grand Rapids. We're on the other side. How far is that from Detroit? Two hours. Okay, so yeah, you're not a Detroit guy. That's like saying uh, I'm like an Ottawa guy or something from being from Toronto. But uh, what's what's so, it like in Grand Rapids? What do you like about it? It's over here. Grand Rapids is over here. <laughs> what what do you like about Grand Rapids? Uh, I'm from there, man. Um, it's, it's home. Uh, it's a so it's, it's a working class city, man. People work. You really learn that you got to grind. You learn that things nothing's given to you. You know, and um, and even if you think you deserve something, you still need to work harder to make sure that you you get it. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, bro, it's a it's a good it's a good place. It has it has its um its bright spots and its dark spots like any city. 
Now, we're midway through February. There's a streak that needs to be broken. I think you're the guy to do it. Every single five-round fight in the UFC and Bellator this year has gone five rounds. has gone to the, to a, the judges' scorecards. Are you going to be the person that breaks that streak this Saturday? That's what I'm aiming for, man. We we gotta we gotta do something about that main event. It needs to come with a main attraction. People like knockouts. It's one hell of an attraction. Well, we'll be watching. Hopefully, you'll uh, be able to deliver a birthday present to your son as well as a birthday bonus to your son at the end of the night. I really appreciate your time. Look forward to seeing you do your thing this Saturday. It's the main event UFC Fight Night. Yourself against Johnny Walker. Appreciate your time. Thank you, bro. I appreciate you. Last week was the farewell tour for Roxanne Modapere. This week, it's the farewell tour for Chaz Skelly, who's fighting his last fight this weekend against Mark Striegel. So, Chaz, why was this the right time for you to, uh, to decide to call it a day? Uh, you know, uh, I guess you never really know exactly what's going to happen. I mean, you don't know. But I plan on this being my last fight. I, I, I kind of feel like I want to stay on the roster in case anything interesting comes up that I might want to take, but... I've segued into a new career. Um, my little brother started a roofing company, and they blew up, and and now I'm selling commercial and residential roofs, and it's uh it's fitting me pretty well. I, I really like it, and so I've segued into a new career, and I would just like to focus on that. Could you see yourself down the road? You know, you're staying in the USADA pool, perhaps, and then they give you a call. They say, "Hey, Chaz, we we need you to step up two weeks' notice. Uh, do you want to do you want to do that for us?" Is that something that you'd jump at, perhaps, if the time was right and you felt like you were in the right spot? Yeah, I mean, it is something. That's what I'm saying. I'm not going to put, like, a absolute, like, exclamation point on my career, you know, say it's absolutely over. But, um, yeah, that's something I could see myself doing. I'm, I'm going to stay in shape and and probably do some grappling, probably do some jiu-jitsu tournaments and stuff like that. I, You know, I love grappling, so and I've never had the opportunity to go really compete because I just don't want to get hurt, you know, with, with fights coming up. But, you know, with all the injuries that I've taken over the last three, four years, it's it kind of makes sense for me to focus on something else, you know. And and because in this career, it's like I'm 36 years old. You know, you can't fight forever. Uh, to, to me, I'm not necessarily retiring. I'm just switching careers, you know. If I was retiring, I'd be on a beach someplace with a drink in my hand, you know, enjoying myself the rest of my life but uh, i'm not i'm gonna be still working and and building a career and and grinding out so i i just really want to focus on on making money uh in a different just a different uh place in my life and then if something comes around that's interesting to me then yeah i mean i, I would be willing to take it are you going to be living in florida still? i know you're training at sanford and may or you're going back to your hometown where's your brother's business located uh, no, I bought a I bought a house in Fort Worth, Texas. That's where I'm from. I'm from Azle, just outside of Fort Worth. And uh, you know, a couple few months back, I bought a house in Fort Worth, and now I'm gonna be after this fight, I'll be moving back to Fort Worth and and focusing on slinging roofs. I'm hoping the airplanes aren't too loud if you're out in Fort Worth. <laughs> no, no, they're good. <laughs> well, one thing I want to ask you about is you were in the cage to face an opponent, Jamal Emmers. And his back, I guess, he, he threw his back out, I guess, in the, in the backstage leading up to that fight. Like, how demoralizing is that for somebody when you're standing in the cage, you're ready to go, you're, you know, you're, you're revved up, and then your opponent doesn't make the walk? Uh, you know, it was, it was something else. It was, uh, it was a different experience, that's for sure. You know, I was, 
I was pretty pumped for that fight. Uh, I was ready to go. I, I had just came off a of shoulder surgery in that one. So I had a 13 week camp and I just really, really, really worked super hard to get back in shape and get ready for the fight. And so it was, it was even extra disappointing because of all of the work that I had to put into rehab while training and, and, uh, the strength conditioning sessions were just absolutely brutal. So yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was tough to say the least, you know, I really, really wanted to put on for my fans and, and the people who support me because they were waiting for a long time for me to get back in there. So yeah, it was tough. And I saw you in January of 2020, you were in Vegas, uh, ready to fight Grant Dawson and he had to pull out during fight week. And I'm sure that was no fun, but I can't remember an instance where we've seen somebody in the cage waiting, at least in recent years, in the cage, waiting for their opponent to come out. Like it's, that just must feel awful when that when something like that happens yeah you know uh it, it is like a roller coaster of emotions for sure and then your mind just automatically goes the first thing for me is my mind went to well i mean this is more like a forfeit not this isn't a no contest this is a forfeit you know there's no other there's no other sport where one team's on the playing field and the other team doesn't show up and it's not considered a forfeit so i was just worried about getting paid at that point yeah, why, why wouldn't the commission consider that a forfeit? Uh, did you pursue that in any sort of way? No. No, I didn't. Uh, they, they call it no contest. It, it is what it is. You know, um, I don't care about wins and losses on my record so much uh, as I do about getting two paychecks, you know. So I wasn't focused on the commission or trying to get that win on my record, trying to get a forfeit. I was more focused on uh, talking to Hunter and, and Sean and, and Dana about about getting uh making sure i got my money okay well hopefully that uh, ended up working out uh, <laughs> did it end up yeah. working out did they take care yeah. of you yeah yeah they took care of me so okay well i'm very happy to hear that um what, what do you think your i guess the your fondest memory is of your career if you were to look back at it and say this is the last fight what's the thing that you're most proud of so fondest memories uh i have a couple pretty good memories you know i mean uh the maximo the maximo blanco fight uh where i subbed him in 16 seconds or whatever that was a really good one um my knockout against jim aylers was a was a really good memory for me because i had just came off of a surgery and took that fight on four and a half weeks notice and went out there and, and got the win because that was a that was a super tough four and a half weeks i just really put in a lot of effort and a lot of a lot of time in the gym I was just my body was just beat that whole entire camp because I was trying to you know cram it all and get in shape and to go out and fight at elevation so that was a really good one you know I got uh those are two memories that really stick out in my head of course I got the back-to-back -back, the two wins in 13 days obviously that's uh that was a cool little stretch for me so you know obviously a lot of my memories, a lot of my good memories revolve around wins, but also uh, my loss, you know, my very first fight in the UFC, that was just like a very memorable experience. Of course, I, I lost the fight, but it was a good fight, and uh, it was a lot of fun, you know, just to, to be in the UFC, to, to finally make it. That was my goal, you know, to be where I wanted to, to be, to work, where I'd worked so hard towards my entire career. So that was, you know super memorable as well but another thing that was really memorable for me was um the way that i got into the ufc actually uh johnny hendrix 
I was on team takedown and Johnny Hendricks had a title fight coming up. We had a team cookout and Dana White actually came to the team cookout. Well, I was 11 and 0 at the time and I was kind of just waiting to get to call to get into the UFC. Um, I think I had maybe 10 finishes out of 11 fights or something like that, or maybe nine, something like that. And I'm at this barbecue and Dana White shows up with this little posse and they come in, I say hi. And then they, they go sit down and grab some food. And then I see my mom walk in and my mom and my dad walked in and my mom was like, Hey, and I, I see her look up and just automatically, uh, see Dana White. And she's like, is that Dana White? And I was like, yeah, she just walks right over to his table and is like, Hey Dana, I want you to meet somebody. So she grabs him and pulls him over to my table and was like, this is my son, Chess Skelly. He's 11 and 0. Um, you know, X amount of finishes. He's been waiting to get in the UFC for however long. Like, what's the deal? And I'm just like, oh, God. And uh, Dana's like, oh, yeah, we already met. Uh, and he goes, well, so so what's the deal? Why aren't you in the UFC yet? I was just like, I don't know. I was going to, you know, that's what I wanted to ask you. I, I don't know. I don't make those decisions. So he's like, come over here and sit down with me. He gets on the phone with Sean Shelby, and he's like, hey, do you know this kid, uh, Chess Skelly, out of uh, the team takedown camp here? And, He's like, yeah, yeah, let's uh, let's get him on a card. And then he hangs up the phone and he turns to me. And he's like, welcome to the UFC and shakes my hand. And I was just like, you know, that was a pretty cool moment. And, you know, that wasn't even revolved around an actual fight, but it was a really, really cool, memorable moment. And then they lined you up with Mirsad Bektik, who was like one of the hottest guys in the UFC, like hottest prospects at the time. And you got a split decision lost to him. But I mean, that's it didn't make it easy on you. Yeah, no, I actually... Uh, I love that matchup when I saw it. I, um, you know, when I had him there, I, that was a, that was kind of a crazy, crazy deal with that fight too. They, um, in the second round I had him rocked and I threw a knee and I hit him with a knee and then he put his hand down and lifted it up and I hit him with another knee and I thought it was over. I thought I had TKO'd him and they actually took a point instead. And it's kind of funny because in the back, the ref had said, uh, you know, they come for the personalized, like, rules meetings. And the ref said, you know, do you have any questions? And I said, no, I don't I don't have any questions. And he, he looked at my coach at the time, Mark Lehman. He said, Mark, do you have any questions? And Mark said, yeah, I got a question. Uh, if we're throwing knees against the cage and he puts his hand down, what's your, what's your deal with that? And the ref goes, if he puts his hand down, if he's playing the game, and puts his hand down and lifts it back up. Go ahead and throw the knee because it's my discretion. I won't, I won't uh, penalize you for it. So during the fight, I saw him lift his hand and I just threw the knee and he put it back down before I was gone. And then the guy takes a point and I was just like, man. So that's, it's so it's so funny when you look back on your career and and uh, and I'm not making excuses. Uh, Mirsad fought a great fight and and I was happy to fight it. You know, I'm, I, I I look at that fight as a positive thing for me. You know, I was undefeated at the time, and to taste defeat for the first time, you know, uh, it, it wasn't a negative thing. It was a positive thing for me. So I'm mean, no excuses on my part, but it just looking back on your career and the little things like that that happen during fights, it's pretty cool to to think about and just remember, like reminisce on, I guess. Was it that same referee in the back that took the point? Yeah. Oh, well, that's unbelievable. That's, that's ridiculous. So that one point deduction, that cost you the fight, right? Because it's a majority decision. Oh, yeah. I think so. I, I felt like I had won the. I felt like I won the third, but I felt like it should have been a draw. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, I mean, 
I'm sure I'm sure everybody feels that way in, in fights, you know. You know what fight actually stands out to me about your career? You fought a guy who was undefeated in the UFC, Kevin Souza, uh, in Brazil. And I remember watching this guy and thinking, this guy is special. Like, he, he was long. He was similar. Like, reminded me a lot of, like, a, a small Anderson Silva, the way that he moved in, in and out. And you ended up beating him. And I guess he didn't, I, I don't think he was cut by the UFC, but he didn't resign with them. And I remember thinking, like, that he was going to be a guy that was going to contend for a title one day. And uh, I just thought that was a very big win at the time that people, if they looked at your resume now, wouldn't realize exactly what that win meant in hindsight. Yeah, you know, he actually, I think, uh, I think all of his wins in the UFC at that time, I think he was on a three or four fight win streak, all knockouts, uh, a couple of performance bonuses. He was a dangerous guy and they actually, uh, gave me the option between, I think it, I think that was the fight. They gave me an option between two different people and I chose him. I thought, I thought that that was a bigger win for me. I thought that if I beat him, uh, it would say a lot more and he, uh, you know, it's funny, right before I walked out, I said to myself, I said audibly, I said, hey, this guy can't hurt me. He can't hurt me. At the time, I had never been dropped. And uh, I said, you know, this guy can't hurt me. I, And then in the first round, I I had him in a, a really deep choke, and he slipped out and got up, and I, I kind of came right after him, and he just slipped and, and rocked me. You know, he dropped me with a really, really hard punch. And there's a there's a funny picture online, if you, you can look it up, but it's like a picture of me. You zoom in on my eyes. My eyes are just glazed over. I'm like falling. <laughs> and I, I look back on that picture. I'm like, oh, my God. I was telling myself right before the fight, there's no way this guy could hurt me. And then I, you know, I don't remember anything else in that fight until uh, right before I finished him. I was actually, I had him against the cage and then things kind of cleared in the second round. I had him against the cage and things kind of cleared up for me. I kicked off the cage and choked him right away. I could hear my, I could hear Mark Lehman screaming at me and I just kind of followed his instruction and, and, uh, choked the guy out right there. And, and it was a pretty, yeah. I mean, looking back on it now that you mentioned it, that was a really, really cool moment too, you know, doing that in Brazil and, and, and being able to, you know, cause that was kind of like a, that's like a bucket list thing, you know, fighting in Brazil, submitting a Brazilian in Brazil. I mean, that's Brazil has like the best fans, the best crowd, uh, they, they might be a little rowdy in the beginning, you know, you're fighting a Brazilian they're they're kind of rowdy and they're kind of mean, but then after the fight, they're all, all respect, you know? So that was a real bucket list thing for me to fight there in Brazil. Yeah. I just want people when they look back at your resume to not go, Oh, I don't know who that guy is. That was a big deal at the time. So I just want to put that out there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Well, Chaz, thanks so much for this. It was great reminiscing with you. Uh, hopefully, I get to speak with you again uh, if, if you end up taking another fight uh, down the road. I, I'm glad to hear you're not shutting the door, but also glad to hear that you've uh, moved on to something that's going to be a lucrative career for you as well. Uh, appreciate you doing this, and best of luck this weekend against Mark Striegel. Thanks, man. It was really good talking to you. Ted and Helliger is finally in the UFC, and he makes his debut this weekend against Jesse Strader. Uh, what do you know about Jesse, Chad, and uh, how do you think he will do as an opponent what, what do you think are his strengths and weaknesses uh you know the main thing i know about him is that he's exciting you know he's he's uh he's out there looking for finishes and he's got a lot of athleticism and power um those things really need to be respected because uh it's a fight and the, the, those are dangerous skills to have but you know i'm pretty confident my skills you know my skills and experience are going to outweigh um some of the physical attributes he brings to the table so you know, I'm excited because I love a fight that is exciting. You know, I really think we're going to go out there 
and put on a great show, and uh, I can't wait. Did you know about him when they pitched him to you as an opponent? Actually, I didn't. I didn't know who he was. Um, uh, I ended up looking him up once it was offered. Um, and, yeah, it was just jumping off the page at me. I, I loved everything about him. He's a real aggressive striker. He had a bunch of knockouts. Um, you know, his first fight in the UFC, I didn't really base anything on that. He, he took it short notice against a really tough guy. Didn't really get a chance to do his thing, so I, I didn't really put any stock in that. Um, I just see it as a, a great opportunity for me to show some of my other skills, especially after my last fight where uh, it was really grappling heavy. I, I feel like we're going to get a bit more of a striking show uh, this Saturday. How do you feel during fight week now that you're part of a UFC fight week versus a Dana White Contender Series fight week? Does it feel like a difference to you? Yeah, everything's knocked up a little bit. You know, it's all it's such a huge advantage having that Contender Series under my belt because it's very similar. I mean, I'm in the same hotel. We're fighting in the same uh, uh, arena, the same cage. I mean, those are those are big advantages to have. Um, but yeah, it, it's something about uh, putting on this UFC stuff and and going through the uh, sizing for my fight kit, that stuff, it just really was motivating, man. It feels so great to be here. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I'm legitimately living my dream this week, and, and I'm very happy to be doing it. Are you hoping to get that excitement out of the way? I mean, what day is it today? Wednesday? You, you got weigh-ins on Friday morning. By, by Friday morning, do you think the excitement will have subsided and it's going to be business time? That's what weigh-ins do. <laughs> That's exactly what weigh-ins do is they, they flip the script a little bit and uh, it becomes... Uh, very serious to me and, and about performing and about getting the job done. Uh, yeah, so it's been nice getting here, getting settled in, but um, that is when things change is when we get that face off from then out. It's uh, it's me versus Jesse. Now, you used to fight at flyweight, so I imagine this is an easier cut for you? Yeah, the cuts aren't that bad, and um, I've just learned more in my career that there's, there's a lot of advantages of that. You know, I, I don't have the same type of stress as a lot of guys do this week. Um, I'm putting in hard workouts still, you know, today I have a hard workout I'm going to do tonight. And it just makes me um, keep my confidence high going into the fight when I'm feeling my best and my strongest and my most explosive, you know, right before the fight. So uh, weight cut will be no problem. So when you wake up in the morning, if you were to stand on the scale right now, what would it uh, what would it look like? It would say, Chad, you're doing just what you should be doing. All right. Well, there you go. I, uh. Yeah, it never hurts to ask. I mean, I, I used to be a guess your weight guy at a theme park, so I, I, I tend to be able to, to know, notice these things. Like, if I were to guess within three pounds, would you tell me? 100% I will. Go for it. 146 pounds. Very close. 148.5. Oh, so there you go. Sorry, you don't get a toy. Chad, you're going to have to try a yeah. different game. Maybe the you one know, with the ducks. Good. I'm impressed. I, I, I was pretty confident I was not going to be telling you today, so yeah, that was, that was pretty good. <laughs> Well, I'm not lying to you, though. I, that, that was something I did when I was a teenager. I was actually pretty good at it. Did you ever think it'd still pay off like it is right now? No, definitely, definitely not. I, but you know what? Who knows? <laughs> you, you do things in life, you get experiences, and sometimes you bring those experiences up, and uh, they, they end up paying dividends. So uh, Hakeem Dawadu, your teammate, a couple weeks ago had a fantastic performance, total clean sheet, uh, three rounds to none on all scorecards. Is that a big motivator for you, seeing a teammate of yours uh, perform at such an elite level? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it just reaffirms all the hard work we're doing in the gym. And if anything, it reaffirms all the hard work I had to do with Akeem. And those Akeem rounds are, are not easy. And uh, it's good to, to kind of reaffirm that he's one of the absolute best in the world at what he does. So uh, having him in the gym is very motivating. You know, I know him in the right spot doing the right things. And uh, the proof is in um, guys like Akeem and his performance. When does happy Hakeem go away? Like I, when I see him, and he's not in camp, and he's not preparing for a fight. He's a completely different guy. He's smiling, he's cracking jokes. 
But then once he's getting close to a fight, he like he morphs into like fight week Hakeem. Now I don't know if that carries into training camp and like when that that kicks in. But do you, are you able to tell me? You know, Hakeem actually keeps it pretty loose uh, through training camp because uh, you know he really goes up and down when he's serious about what he's doing and when he's putting in his work, whether it's sparring weights or, or whatever. He's all business. And in between, he he he, had, he lightens up and, and he's good to be around and jokes around a bit. But when it's work time for him, it's work time. And that's why, you know, fight week and the fight, people see how serious he is because that's work right now. And, and he does not play around. He wants to get the job done. Um, and, yeah, it's really motivating, actually, to, to see him in the gym because he knows how to turn that on and get the job done. And, yeah, that we uh, we all kind of drive from, from his uh, his passion. Now, I'm here in Ontario, and I know that the provincial guidelines are different from province to province, but was there any sort of interruption in your training camp uh, with, the, you know, Omicron coming in and uh, changing a lot of the different guidelines per province? Nope, no, nope, we didn't really have anything to worry about. Uh, I've been really fortunate. My gym has uh, been been standing strong through all of it, giving us a place to train. So, uh, no, I've been I've been really fortunate. I, I, I haven't missed a day of training. And the hours at Bass Pro Shop, those, those have been good, too? Yeah, they're real good to me. I uh, I was able to pull back a little bit of my work actually for this training camp. Um, I uh, just kind of the time of year too, because I'm in the boat industry. So I, I've took in, I've taken my every Monday, Tuesday off through training camp. So I've just been getting extra days in and and really committing to uh, my my second job here at the UFC because uh, I really want to make sure I'm, I'm showing up properly for that. What do you spend most of your staff discount on when you're shopping at Bass Pro Shop? Fishing lures, for sure. I lose a lot of them, and so does my girlfriend. And my son loves going fishing with uh, with his grandfather in the summer. Is there like a is there a particular lure that you would recommend? You know, uh, I'm really on these uh, these crankbaits right now that have like a little break in the tail. They're like hard baits. They look like they're swimming when you pull them through. It's uh, it's kind of a cool industry if you don't know much about it. But um, there's like been a lot of attention on fishing over the last couple of years. Obviously, COVID did that too. And there's a lot of cool innovations. It's kind of like an exciting thing to stay on top of the latest and greatest lures. Well, next next Christmas, I'll hit you up because I feel like that's the perfect stocking stuff. Like a lure fits perfectly into a stocking. It's probably a good price point. I feel like I could, uh, you know, surprise my kid because usually he gets things that he's expecting. But a fishing lure, I don't think he'd expect. You know, I'll give you a pro tip right now. There's a bunch of companies that do custom lures and they're so crazy affordable. Like if you buy like six of them, you can get your name on it, your picture. And they just make them so easily. And it's like, uh, that's such a, a great gift, like bachelor party stuff, birthday stuff. So there you go, pro tip. All right. I, I like that. I'm going to get family custom, like a full custom-made family of lures uh, for next Christmas. That That's going to be uh, a lot of fun. So uh, you, you've obviously been doing mixed martial arts for such a long time. I mean, I think you're 35 years old, so you're, you're getting a bit of a late entry into the UFC. Um, what does it really mean to you to be here this week, to have your first fight um, do you get emotional thinking about it at all in the lead up? Uh, whether, I mean, when I say emotional, I don't necessarily mean like you, you get teary eyed, but you probably are getting very excited for this particular moment. Yeah. It's kind of hard to separate yourself from the fight. Like when you're getting ready for a fight, I mean, that's the most important thing is fighting and beating this guy. So it's kind of hard to get, you know, too excited with everything else is going on. I had the same type of feeling with the contender series fight. That was a big opportunity for me. Uh, and it didn't really kick in until probably the day after I was at home. I was kind of sitting on the couch and be like, wow, I just really did something pretty great. And, you know, I, I feel like I got the same thing coming after my UFC debut. I really want to put on a great fight. You know, it's going to be fun. Uh, it's exciting for me. It's exciting for my team. 
but you know, after it's all said and done, is really kind of when you look back and be like, "Holy, I, I really just did something pretty awesome." Do you have any superstitions that you carry into, into fight week that you do every single time before a fight? Not really. I, I, if you had to pick one thing, I guess that um, everybody gives me a hard time about is uh, after weigh-in, I, I'm I need sweet potato fries. I, I don't know what it is, and I don't even cut a lot of weight or diet real hard. But I've just like always done it, so I'm always like wherever we go to eat or wherever we order, just make sure they have sweet potato fries on the menu. So I guess that's as, as much as you get from me. Do you think maybe you had it one time and it's just like that's it, it's triggered like a thought in your mind? Like it's, it's a craving that's based on a certain way you're feeling that I'm sure you're not cutting weight outside of fight camp, like outside of, you know, fight week. So uh, that's probably what it is, right? I swear it's just like it's just something to focus on after, you know, you cut weight and it's like you need to rehydrate, you need to do this, we need to get food. It's like it kind of just like streamlines my mind so i'm not uh going crazy i just need to think about one simple thing that i need to accomplish and it kind of just brings some of the stresses down i think all right chad well looking forward to seeing your debut this weekend against jesse strader uh really appreciate your time and look forward to speaking with you again soon thanks so much man talk soon mandel nalo is back in action this weekend he's at the resort out in uncasville connecticut give me give me the name of the resort i'm, I'm forgetting it right now Mohegan Sun. Mohegan Sun. I don't know why the Mohegan Sun. I mean, they've had basketball games there for years, and I'm, I just completely drew a blank on it. But you're taking on Nick Speaks Brown. He's been uh, been around, fought some really good opponents. I was looking at his resume earlier today. Uh, tell me a little bit about him and what, what kind of uh, training you've done in particular to, to face an opponent like him. Mm, I think he's a really good fighter. And I've said it, I said it before, but he's one of these guys that's like been doing it for you know, 10 plus years when he's retired, he's going to open a gym. Like he's very good. He's a black belt. He's got good gas. He's the kind of guy you need to be fighting at this in my life. So, uh, I'm excited for it. Well, you say 10 plus years, but, um, it's actually going to be, uh, 10 years and one day since his first fight. When you fight him, it's like, it's almost, that was his oh. first amateur fight was 10 years and one day, uh, to almost like, to the date of when you're fighting him. So, yeah, he's been around for a long time. He's got a really solid record. What kind of a fighter is he? Like, if you've never seen Nick Brown fight before, what's, what's he bring to the table? I think he's just, like, a well-rounded guy. I think probably his best attribute is his gas tank, his toughness. And uh, he's pretty slick on the ground. So he's, a, he's like, a, he's got it all. You're a very unique fighter. Obviously, your nickname is Rat Garbage, and I've been seeing more of your artwork on uh, on Instagram. Instagram basically is something that you use for your like your visual art projects, which I think is very unique for for fighters. But is that creativity something that you put into your fighting? And is there some way that is that something that can't really be taught, in your opinion? Yeah, I think it's more more just if you like if you have the personality to want to kind of. Uh break out of the the mold uh in life then yeah like my fighting style kind of like i like i love fundamentals but just naturally my fighting style looks kooky uh and i think that that's just how, how i live my life it's everything well you can't spell fundamentals without fun exactly and <laughs> mental and mental, there you go. Um, see, th that's why you're a creative. You just came up with that right on the spot. But uh, I think that that's important, though. Like, I think grasping the fundamentals is what allows people to be creative because that's when you can make those adjustments in order to, 
innovate. And I think that, that it takes a certain mind to be able to do that. And I think that that's something that, that you possess. But like I mentioned, I don't think that's something that can be taught. So what is it that, that brings that out of you? Mm, but yeah, it's just some deep down, like ever since I was a little kid, you always like I always just wanted to kind of be a little bit strange, I guess, like not not like a weirdo, but I just didn't want to do what everybody else was doing. So when Faraz is coaching you, is that something that he encourages or is he saying, well, you're getting a little bit too out there, focus on this? How does he, because obviously a coach, when they have different pupils, they have to react differently and coach them differently. How do you think his coaching style is conducive to what you do? Yeah, he really allows the fighter to kind of take shape uh, as their best form of themselves. He's not trying to make everybody George or everybody Rory because, you know, every guy does different stuff. He Train, he has way different techniques than George. He just knew that the best way for George to win was the way that George won. So he's he's always really good at not pushing me further in the direction of being uh, crazy, but he, he's like, he likes to experiment and uh, make me the best version of myself. And did you do, do most of your camp at TriStar this time around? back and forth so i would train at tristar five days of the week and then i'd take the train back to toronto to hang out with the family on the weekends okay so you were you were living in montreal i guess so on during the i guess the weekdays and then you'd come home would you train yeah. it all in toronto while you were at home or was the weekends just for family yeah sometimes i would train at santos brothers bjj but sometimes sometimes i would just like go for a run or something so faraz actually was just cornering nazrat hackbrass this past weekend did he jump right from, I guess, mm -hmm. that was in Houston, from Houston to Connecticut to corner you? I think he went Houston, Montreal, and now he's coming today. Okay, he's coming back in. So what did you think of that fight with Hackpress? From what it's I crazy. understand, he, he had a broken he... hand and broken foot going into that fight. At least that's what his manager said after the fight. So he, he fought through that against a really tough opponent who now is getting a big opportunity as of yesterday. Yeah, I heard, I heard some stuff, like, you know, Nazareth's, nuts he's he's super young and he's super good uh and i heard that yeah he was pretty banged up going into that fight uh which is crazy because a guy like bobby green is like, so i was telling people before the fight like bobby green is no joke like he's to me the next jorge masvidal that's what i was saying before this fight i was like he's a guy who's been in the game forever and people don't know how good he is he just needs the right fight um yeah, Nazareth's it's the real deal for just doing it no matter what. Well, so I don't know if you heard this, but Bobby Green's actually facing Islam Makhachev in two weeks. He got the short notice opportunity, yeah. 160 pounds. So is Islam Makhachev the one who you think is going to bring this out of him? I hope so. I mean, I think that it's unfortunate when this stuff happens for a guy. Like, it's a great opportunity to, to kind of showcase your name. But it's not like even in a fight where you won ten, like three ten nines, it's not. You don't feel 100%. Like Bobby Green's the man, and I'm sure he's going to perform well. But I just wish that it was it would happen after a full camp for him. Because Especially because I've said it, a guy like Islam or a guy like Khabib, you need six months to train for those guys, I think. 
yeah, it's such a specific form of wrestling that is so dominant, and it's not exactly. like what what you would have trained in North America. You almost need specialized training, and you need to bring in people that are accustomed to that style of wrestling. Exactly. What there was another guy who took a short notice fight, uh, and he got beat. He he won a fight, took a short. It was like two months ago, but it was like sure, it's a good opportunity to make more money, but like, it's not uh, not ideal, I think. I was watching Nazrat in there with him, and I was thinking, it must be really hard to mentally prepare to fight a guy like Bobby Green, who you know was going to be in your face, throwing yeah. strikes three rounds, and then when you're actually in there with him, you know, that, no matter how mentally prepared you are, thinking about that and visualizing that once that's actually happening, that must be a lot to get through. And I don't know if you've spoken to Nazrat after the fact, but I actually felt bad watching that because I just, like, I just don't know how you can think at the, at the rate of speed that that stuff is coming at you. Yeah, I mean, like I said, he's he's one of the best in the world, Bobby Green. At 55, he's an unknown gem. Uh, like, so, to, it, I think for him, he's super technical, very good everywhere. But he's just got so much experience. You're never gonna you're never gonna rattle him. You're never gonna like take him out of his game. And that's something that young fighters, uh, a lot of young fighters, have a problem with. Like Aaron Hernandez, who's a good fighter, and. Uh, he just looks like a guy who gets taken out of his game still. He's just not got enough mileage. Yeah, absolutely. You mean Alex Alex uh, Hernandez from this past weekend? That's right. That's right. Yeah, Aaron Hernandez is the football player who killed people. Yeah, with the Illuminati on the in the jail cell. Yeah, that, that that's the, that that's you know, we don't want to get those guys confused. Um <laughs> so yeah, how how are you enjoying the experience of being in Bellator? What's your contract situation like? Um and what are you hoping to do this year? Yeah, I mean, Bellator is great. It's a place uh, that lets me fight. And I've I've said it for the past two years now. Uh, being in the UFC or Bellator is such a like, luxury these days. Because you see, I mean, being in Ontario, you see a promotion shoots up. They book a bunch of fights. And then two weeks before the event, the whole event gets canceled. The venue, you know, is functioning. They're not going to make their money back and take off. And it's like, it's easy. And uh, the guys are good. So that's great. I got three more fights on my contract. This year, I would like to really make a push, try to fight a little more. Uh, last year was crazy. Just had a bunch of family stuff going on. But uh, this year, yeah, at least at least three fights in the year. And let's push for a belt, you know? I'm getting old. <laughs> Well, I mean, fighting in February is probably a, a good sign if you're hoping to fight three times in a year. So when would you, if, you know, obviously if you come out of this one healthy, when would you like to fight again? Yeah, you know, I think like early, early in the year is good. And then mid-summer, like June, July, and then uh, end of the year, kind of the way, the, you know, November, December would be the third fight. It's tough that you haven't been active because I think if, if they put you in there with the champion, like, that's probably an even-money fight. Like, if, if I were to, to put a betting line on I think that, so. I think it's probably an even-money fight. So it's, it's probably been difficult for you to sit back and watch other people rise in the rankings while you're, you know, not, not getting as many fights as you'd like to. Yeah, it's not tough. Uh, first of all, because I don't watch fights. And second of all, just because uh, I know that, that a fighter's career peaks and valleys. So 
you just kind of chug along. Everybody's career takes shape differently. We can't all be a 22-year-old champion like John Jones. And uh, some of us are 41-year-old champions like Glover Teixeira. So it, it all happens the way it should happen. I always find it funny when fighters say they don't watch fights. Like I'm sure you train with Malcolm Gordon. Malcolm Gordon, like, I don't think he could name five champions in the UFC right now if I like did trivia with him. He just doesn't watch any yeah. fights. I, I just like I find that yeah. so fascinating because this is what your life is. You guys are doing this in the gym all day. Uh, I'm being, I guess, on Saturday nights. I don't watch interviews. I don't watch people doing other interviews, and that, that's what I'm doing during the day for the most part. Yeah. But I just think that mm -hmm. it's, it's. I just find it so interesting and fascinating that you're like on a Saturday night, you're not amped up to watch the fights. Yeah, I mean, it, dep it depends on who's fighting. Like this past weekend, I did watch because uh, Whitaker Adesanya is a crazy fight, and the rest of the card was pretty good. Uh, but Saturday nights, staying up until 1, I don't know. I got to wake up with the kids on Sunday. It sucks. <laughs> How did you score that fight? Honestly, I thought it was even. Uh, Toss-up rounds were 3 and 4. So I thought Israel was clear... One, three and four were close. Two was Whitaker. Five was Whitaker, in my opinion. Interesting. Yeah, I just watched it back this past week. I think round two was a lot closer than people are giving it credit for. I think that a yeah, lot of I people think, saw uh, Whitaker kind of come back from a really terrible round. Yeah. And it kind of, like, in people's minds, Which like, happened. wow, okay, this guy's putting up a fight now. But but then even even then, I mean, whatever. The, the fight happened the way it happened. It was close enough that the decision doesn't really matter. But... One and five were split, and then the rest of the rounds so close that it's hard to call. Yeah, I actually, I gave Israel two through four. Um, or one through four, rather. Yeah, one okay. through four. I gave him one through four. It all depends on yeah. how, you, how you kind of score pressure versus, you know, other stuff. Takedowns, like partial takedowns. It's hard to really know. Well, I mean, that's the thing. When you, when, like, I got very familiar with the scoring criteria that the judges use. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people, when they're scoring fights, if they don't know the criteria all that well, they think the takedowns really, like, make a big difference or that, like, him getting yeah. Israel's back is, like, he's scoring points that way. When mm -hmm. really, based on the criteria, that doesn't actually score points, right? So I'm, I'm trying to look at it from the standpoint mm -hmm. of what a judge is seeing cage side and how they're interpreting that data through the scoring criteria. Because there are a lot of fights where... I think that if you were to just do the eye test and score like pride scoring and say, okay, that guy won, based on the scoring criteria, that guy lost. So it's kind of a weird thing where yeah. the eye test isn't necessarily what the scoring criteria dictates. Yeah, like that's one thing I do. I, I kind of just go off of like, oh, who, who, who did the most damage, which is which I shouldn't do. But uh, no, it's what you should do. Pressure, well, who but... scored the most damage is that's uh, yeah. that's the criteria. That's like, like that's that's the only thing yeah. really that matters in the fight. I think forward pressures, like judges, kind of get mesmerized by forward pressure a lot. If a guy's being a counterfighter on the outside, unless they're really piecing the guy up, uh, judges don't really see that for that much. Yeah, well, that's that that's very true. And I uh, I can't I had a tweet this past weekend that uh, the, the there was the Modafferi and Casey O'Neill fight, and the, and one of the judges scored it for Modafferi, which I think is a very egregious scorecard. And it turned out that that judge was actually a mm -hmm. rocket scientist. So, like, you know how they say, oh, you don't need to be a rocket scientist. And, like, he was, like, a legitimate, yeah. worked for NASA rocket scientist, which I thought was kind of interesting. <laughs> that is crazy. <laughs> how, what kind of a fall is that? Now you're judging fights? Well, he has a Jeez. background in martial arts, too. Like, you, I read his bio, and he's, he's got a black belt in, like, Aikido and, like, has done, 
jujitsu and a lot of other different dialects of martial arts. But his like main job is he's like works in space engineering, which I just thought was fascinating. Jeez. That's nuts. <laughs> All right, Mandel. It's always fun catching up with you. Uh, I still need to figure out where to buy your art. I mean, you got to put up a website or something. You just 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 link it in your Instagram. People would buy it. I like it. I think it's I think it's cool. Thank. Uh, uh, oh yeah. Uh, look, address. I think I got shirts in your size. I'll send you a shirt. Okay, I will do that. I'll I'll text you my address, and we, you know we can we can just get on the phone and talk about music instead of talking about this fighting stuff one day. How's that sound? Yeah, exactly. Fighting's boring. <laughs> All right, man. Good luck this Saturday. Uh, looking forward to seeing you do your thing. Thank you very much. A huge thank you to all of our guests, AJ McKee, Jamal Hill, Chaz Kelly, Chad and Helliger, and the one and only Mandel Nallo, Rat Garbage himself. I really should write these names down before I start just trying to find them in my fragmented brain when I'm doing this show close. But you know what? Sometimes it's important to use that brain to make sure that it doesn't wither away into nothing. So that's what I'm doing when I'm doing these extras. Just remembering who was on the show this week. I've talked to a lot of these great fighters, and I want to make sure that they remain memorable in my mind and in your mind. And I appreciate you listening to the show and would also appreciate if you could review the show. Five stars, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a nice note. We always appreciate that, and it does wonders for the show in SEO value. If you're not familiar with SEO value, that's probably a good thing. Anyhow, thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you again next week with more great interviews.